Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Tour Catcher. Bublik wins the Battle of the Sashes in Montpellier. Del Potro teases retirement. And Andy Murray decides to skip the clay season. Kim, today is the 7th of February and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Passing Shot HQ, especially backed by our crowd funders Pat Lowe and John Dyson. After the dramatic events of the Australian Open, Kim, I'm glad to say we've only really got three tennis events to catch up on from last week. No WTA tennis, we've got three ATP 250s and I think for the first time in a long time, I can just have I can just have a little bit of a breather. Yeah, after that dramatic final day of the Australian Open, it's been quite a chilled week tennis-wise. Um I've I've just been kind of reveling in in the AO to be honest rather than avidly following, <laughs> you know, Pune or Montpellier. I mean, as a Rafa fan, are you still on are you still on cloud 9? I'm on cloud 21, Joel. Uh <laughs> it's uh, yeah, the sensations have not diminished. Still very much enjoying the fact that he mm. won. Um, you know, been watching it back and just reveling in it. It's just what an incredible match. It's it's hard to forget. And uh yeah, it's gonna take longer than a week for that to for that to <laughs> to pass. But I mean we have had tennis this week, you know, it, it does keep going on. Um but before we get on to that, we do have just a little little well, request, I suppose, for our listeners. We have had some news. We've been holding back on it. We were thinking out when is the right time to talk about this. Um, and we've decided it is post Australian Open. And it seems some exciting news on our part. We um, have been nominated in the best tennis podcast category at the Sports Podcast Awards. It's their first year. It's the inaugural awards. And we are up. Uh, we made the shortlist in the best tennis category. Um, and now what we would like to ask our listeners is uh, to vote for us. If you could uh, vote for us on the website, just type in Sports Podcast Awards into Google. I'm sure it will come up. We will also put a link in the description. Um, voting is open now. It's open until the beginning of March. So if you really want to kind of help the show out, um, it would be amazing if you could if you could register and, and vote for us. Um, there's lots of familiar sounding tennis podcasts in that category. So if you could vote for us, that would be great. The website link is www.sportspodcastawards.com slash a-U-T-H slash register. So you can go on that link. As I said, we'll put that link in the description. But yeah, some uh, really exciting news for us. And yeah, it'd be really amazing if you could go on and vote for us. 
Yeah, thank you in advance to anyone who does that. I uh, really would appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll see. It's it's just a pleasure to be nominated. But um, yeah, we'd love to, to go further. So thank you in advance. And uh, let's get on to today's show, Joel, because we have had three ATP events. No, no WTA action uh, on the main tour going on in the past week. So uh, it's, it's quite male focused today. But mm. uh, let's start in France in Montpellier. Uh, had the indoor hardcore event there. And uh, yeah, Battle of the Sashas in the final was what we got. Uh, Sasha's Verev and Sasha Bublik. And well, it was it was Bublik that came out on top, much to people's surprise, I suppose. Um, 6-4, 6-3, straight sets over Zverev to get his first tour title. I mm. think it was his fifth final and he's finally gone and done it. I know, it was a very impressive victory. I think that was his first top five win as well it was very business-like 70 minutes I thought you know Zverev Zverev in Montpellier he took a wild card I think and you know he looked he looked in pretty good form going into the you know into the final I didn't think he he only had one set I think go to a, a tie break he absolutely dismantled Manorino en route Kim I don't understand how how does Rafa go into a really thrilling tie break with Manorino at the Australian Open but Zverev could just bat him away 6-1-6 love <laughs> that was a question that was on my mind um but yeah i mean in the final yeah public was i think he just really really wanted it um you know this is his fifth final he's a very awkward opponent i feel because you just never know what he's going to do next he can play some really great tennis you know very 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 you know eye-catching entertaining tennis player but at the same time he can also play some awful tennis you just felt against Zverev he was really gonna have to bring his a-game um in order to trouble him and come away with the title and you know that's what he did and I think you know what was so impressive in his victory he was able to to mix it up I think particularly with his his drop shot bringing Zverev to the net I think he sensed that Zverev wasn't particularly comfortable, particularly with the the high ball. Um, there were a few, I think, smashes that either went into the net or you know weren't completely ruthless. That I think Bublik kind of got on top of, and ultimately, I think it helped him, um, you know, win the match. And um, yeah, I think for Zverev, he'll be disappointed, you know, coming in as a top seed. I think he would have expected given the the way he sort of dismantled his opponents going into the final he probably would have expected to you know maybe have done the same thing against someone like a you know an Alexander Bublik maybe he underestimated him although he shouldn't have done because Bublik mm. actually has never lost his Zverev he was uh right. he's two and oh now on their head-to-head he beat him in Rotterdam last season so obviously likes a, a bit of an indoor hardcore against Zverev but um yeah he was just very solid all round served really well like you said mixed it up a bit and um he's he's now ticked off first title on on the list and um we don't have to talk about him in with within the same breath as as Felix Ojalasi oh not no Felix will be like not another one that's gone and done it <laughs> when will it be my turn um yeah I mean weird results as well like you said about Manorino you know getting obliterated by Zverev we also saw Gail Monfils who you know had a great Australian Open getting dismantled by uh Mikhail Emer as well in in the second round so I guess I'm, I'm thinking this is a bit of fatigue you know they've kind of just got back from Australia going straight into this tournament, you know, it's probably a bit too much. But I guess, you know, it's their home event in France. They, they want to play it in front of the home fans, but per- perhaps not the, the wisest no. decision tennis-wise. 
Yeah, I think um, you know Daniel Medvedev. I think was meant to play Rotterdam, but he I think dropped out because of fatigue. But it looks like some of those players who just decided to play anyway. Yeah, there was some really kind of surprising, uh, you know, results on the show. But yeah, you're talking about uh, Mikhail Imer getting to the semi-finals as well. Really, really good result from him and his brother as well. Elias also got to the the semi-finals in in Pune. So great result for for those two. Um, but yeah, I think. Great result for for Bublik, you know, winning his title, getting that the monkey off his back. I mean, he had a good season last last year. You know, I think he reached thirty five victories, which was a a personal best for him in, back in twenty twenty one. And again, he started this year very strongly. He is now seven and two uh, in twenty twenty two. Kim, the only thing I'm annoyed about is that his next tournament is Rotterdam, and who's his first opponent? It's Andy Murray. So. You know, there is a bit, there is a bit part of me which feels a bit, little bit bittersweet at this result because, yeah, he's in such great form, and I think Andy Murray is going to have, yeah, quite a task on him. I think if he wants to, if he wants to go ahead and and beat him in in Rotterdam, might not even get to that inevitable last set tiebreak that Andy Murray <laughs> has been having in his first round matches at these events. But um, well, we'll see. Yeah, not ideal coming up against someone who's obviously in in really good form and and just got his first you know, top five win of his career. Um, let's move on to a clay court event, Joel. The golden swing has begun. Golden yes. swing. Oh, my God. Yes. Um, I do love a bit of golden swing action. Uh, the draws are just full of clay quarters. Yeah, it's, it's epic. Um, so we had the Cordoba Open in, in Cordoba, Argentina. Um, Diego Schwartzman was, you know, looking quite handy for the win but came came a cropper against uh, a Chilean Alejandro Tabillo in the semi-final um who made it and he made it all the way to the final had a very good chance to win but ultimately Albert Ramos Vinolas veteran Spaniard uh you know kind of destroyed Tabillo's dream run um it was a three set final four six six three six four Ramos Vinolas winning his fourth title on the tour um but I, I think what was the most interesting from this tournament was the story of of Tabilo and he was a breakup in that last set I think a double breakup uh in the second set and um just multiple chances uh, but wasn't able to put it together to go all, all the way in the end as much as his run was fantastic I mean coming all the way through qualifying getting to the final beating the number one seed as well on on along the way, who was in his home tournament uh, in Diego Schwartzman, beating him in straight sets as well. Very, very impressive. Um, but regardless, I think in that final, I think the tale was in that third set, I think experience perhaps told a little bit, you know, obviously that was his his debut ATP tour level final. And I think with such an experienced player like Ramos Vinolas across the court, um, a player who I think is very well-versed in winning kind of ATP titles on the clay courts. I think this was his, he's won four titles. Surprise, surprise. They've all been on clay. But yeah, the fact that I think Tabio was up uh, 4-1, I think he actually had points to go 5-1 up, um, wasn't able to do it. And I think Ramos Vinolas just used all ex- his experience to kind of claw back the scoreline and get it done. And, you know, he, you know, dropped to, dropped on his back um, after match point. Um, you could see how much it meant to him. And um, again, it was a very, um, it was a very passionate crowd, very patriotic crowd. And you could hear it all the way through the tournament, I think, particularly in that semi-final. They were not particularly happy with their, with their home countryman, Diego Schwartzman, losing. But um, I mean, for Ramos Vinolas, yeah, 
just a, a nice win. I think, you know, with these kind of 250s, the golden swing, it's just a big opportunity for these kind of clay quarters to come out and, you know, grab a title. And, um, you know, we've got the Argentina Open next. Who's to say he couldn't go on and do it again? But, um, yeah, it's been a, a very, very impress- impressive, I think, performance from Ramos Vinoles. And for TBO, yeah, hopefully he can do, you know, go on and, and kick on more. I suspect he will try and ply his trade on more clay courts than, than anything else. Perhaps, Kim, he's the next Juan Manuel Serendolo who had a similar run, a similar dream-like run at the uh, the Cordoba Open last year. Yeah, this time last year we were talking about him because he mm. was, I think, uh, well, he was he is Argentinian, so he was, you know, at home and qualified, made his way through um, to the final. But I, I think Serendolo actually won it, didn't he? So Tabilo wasn't quite able to do that. But I was I was just looking at Tabilo. He's actually born in Canada, but represents Chile. Um, and yeah, he's at his highest ranking now, one one two after this week. So perhaps you know the rest of the Golden Swing, if he can get some good results, he'll can you know break the top hundred. And well, perhaps he might have a he might cause a bit of an upset when we get to sort of the the, the what I call the the main clay court season in Europe, uh, not wanting to sound like, you know, I'm being pro-Europe there, but, you know, this is generally the the 250s uh, as opposed to the Masters events. I did enjoy, despite there being, a, a you know, a French event in, in Montpellier, I did enjoy Benoit Paire just chose to play the Cordoba Open uh, out in South America. I'm assuming it's because he prefers playing on the, the outdoor clay as opposed to like the indoor hard courts, but I just thought it was quite funny that, a French player would choose to go all the way over to uh, yeah, to South America, and and Benoit Paire, to be fair, had a good tournament in in Australia, but um, again came a cropper in the first round against Jaume Munar um, in straight sets, so it didn't didn't quite work out for him, did it? No, I mean maybe he just prefers the weather. I think he did this last year as well. I'm sure mm. we were talking about him uh, deciding to take a very different route, <laughs> but you know, fair play. Um, I mean, Spanish fit well. Hispanic food, Argentinian food, you know, probably a bit more maybe his vibe. I don't know. Um, but yeah, we we had that. The Golden Swing is underway, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, well done to Ramos Vanolas. Uh, and then we also had the ATP event in Pune in India, uh, which was outdoors uh, on hard court. And um, we had, well, someone who I maybe thought would actually be playing the Golden Swing. And that's Zhao Salza, who won uh, Pune. And this is his first title in a long time. Um, he's, he's had a few titles in the past, but has been struggling of late with a few injuries and, you know, hasn't really been at this stage of a tournament for, for a few years now on the tour. And he came through against Emil Rusevori, who's quite an up-and-coming player, you know, did quite well at the Australian Open, I think, had that long match with with Felix. Um, so, yeah, Zhao Sousa coming through another three-set final here, 7-6-4-6-6-1. So quite convincing in, in that last set, really stormed away with it at the end. Yeah, that first set particularly was really exciting. I think Sousa, um, you know, was down. Rusevori, I think, was serving for that set. Sousa was able to make it go to a tie break and he won it 11-9 and he I think he felt when he celebrated uh, he celebrated wildly just winning that first set on the tie break given yeah how much he was on the back foot I think so um yeah it was a really fun uh final both players I think particularly in those first two sets really competitive really really good tennis so um yeah it was a, a nice like you know nice nice tournament the top seed Azan Karatsev again surprisingly lost 
um, his opening match to Elias Emer of Sweden, who, as I said, kind of got to the the semi-finals. So um, yeah, a little bit kind of disappointing, I think, if you're if you're kind of Karatsev. But yeah, it certainly opened up the draw, I think, to to someone else. And you know, Sousa coming in unseeded. He's again a very experienced uh, player. He's been, you know, plying his trade, I think, on ATP and challenger circuits, getting those kind of getting that mileage in. And um, yeah, it's been an impressive run to the final for him. And to cap it off with the the victory um, was very, very good. However, Kim, I will say I watched some of the highlights. He needs to work on his grunting because and it's a it's a continual bugbear with me i know kind of seasoned listeners of us will have heard me say this many times before but Souser's grunt is borderline hindrance it is you know listeners if you go watch the highlights you can hear his audible his audible grunt is very very close to when rusevori hits the ball and i just hope in the future i i think this could ne- be the next sort of big thing that the umpires potentially clamp down on um particularly i think on the men's circuit is these extended grunting sounds um after the hitting the ball um because i think if risavori had gone up to the umpire and said look this this guy is is grunting to the point where it's putting me off me hitting my ground strokes i think he would have had a, a credible case um so I know probably Salza is not going to probably do much about it, but I certainly think he could be forced into doing something if the the umpires and you know the umpires at all the tournaments um, on the you know the ATP tour, Challenger tour, whatever um, they address this. I think a bit more head on because I think at the moment there's a little bit too much leeway. I think uh, from you know what I see on what I see on TV and what I see on kind of highlights as well. I just think potentially that could be something that might open up um if nothing kind of gets gets sorted out in the meantime it's funny you mentioned grunting because when i was watching the australian open actually i was thinking about female players and the Mm. the grunting which you know i think a few years back used to be quite a, a common topic of conversation and i don't know if it was my dad mentioned it and i think this current generation of players we don't have very many grunters or People might call them shriekers. You know, I think Azarenka still does it. Obviously, we used to have Sharapova, but there's not really many who are kind of doing that, which I think is is good now that that is not really being talked about. So it's actually funny that you mentioned, you know, Zhao Zhao's are doing that here because it is something that we don't maybe see as, or hear would be a better verb to use, um, hear as much. But obviously, if you're doing it at the point that your opponent's maybe going to hit the ball and it's it could be deemed a hindrance. I mean, I don't know if, if it did bother Rusevori, but if, if it's so obvious that you pick up on it watching, you know, some highlights, then it must be quite bad. So, um, I mean... I have to say, Zhao Sousa did battle through to that title. He had quite a few long matches throughout the weeks, um, quite a few three three setters. So probably maybe it's it's kind of that that audible effort like needed to to get through, isn't it? Um, and as for Rusevori, you know, he was obviously going for his first title, um, and so he's still very much in the Felix Ojeeliasim club still, um, and maybe got a little bit tense towards uh you know parts of that match in the second set i mean he you know he's only 22 years old and again i think perhaps experience showed a little bit Souza's like a, a decade older at 32 years old and i think again you know i think we saw in the finals this week we had a few classic sort of experience versus no experience kind of matchups um and 
I think experience kind of won out and uh yeah I mean it's great opportunities for everyone but I think you know in this round of of ATP tournaments yeah certainly I think people who've had more years on the tour you know won out in certainly in in Pune and in uh, in Cordoba Definitely. Let's take a quick early break now, Joel. Um, But do join us, everyone, in the second half, where we'll be having a look at Andy Murray's decision to turn down the clay season, Juan Martín Del Potro hinting at retirement, and also the return of Fedal in the Labour Cup. So do not go anywhere. Welcome back to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And before we get on to the second half proper, uh, I've got a little mysterious player for you, Joel, uh, and for the listeners. We haven't done this in a while. It's been (laughs) been a good month or so, I think. So I'm uh, hoping your thinking cap is very much on (laughs) and you're looking forward to, uh, to having a crack at this one. Yeah, this is my Wordle. You know, I know Wordle is very popular at the moment uh, amongst quiz fanatics but for me I'm still much I'm still very much looking forward to my mysterious player over my uh, my daily wordle <laughs> yeah wouldn't it be great if we did a mysterious player every single day um, yeah maybe a tennis well, player wordle edition tennis wordle mm. that could be an a idea hard to do on a podcast, maybe we can, we can we'll copyright try. it <laughs> trying to think of like a tennis word that could be like the daily forehand? No, it. I don't know. I'm trying to think of a, a cool word like Wordle that's Tennessee. But anyway, any ideas, listeners, give us a shout. Okay, right. Are we ready for clue number one? I am ready. Okay, fantastic. One. I was born on the 25th of February, 1994. Oh, okay. 1994. So few few years younger than me. I think that would make them uh like 27 27 um so i'm gonna assume they're still playing at the moment um 27 years old oh um daniel altmeyer Uh, no, it's not Daniel Altmaier, uh, unsurprisingly. Uh, right. Uh, I'm not sure how, how close you are, or how warm you are, but <laughs> let's, let's, I'll give you a second clue. Clue number two. I have won one career singles title so far. Uh, one career title so far. So, hmm. So probably not ranked that highly. Maybe, maybe like around. 50, maybe around 50, 60 in the world. Um, oh, uh, let's go with, it's probably wrong. I don't think he's 27 years old anymore, but I'm just going to say it, Kim. Dennis Istamin. <laughs> oh, bless. No, I think he's about 34, um, <laughs> 35 maybe even. No, it's not Dennis Istamin. Okay. Um, I think Dennis has actually won... Well, he won the Nottingham Open a few years ago. I don't know if he's got more than one title. I'll have to look it up in a minute. Um, anyway, I digress. Clue number three. My career high singles ranking is number five in the world. Ooh, okay. I'm going to go slightly rogue. I don't know if he reached five. Is it Jack Sock? It's not Jack Sock. Um, okay. Uh, the second, sorry, the, the next clue, the fourth clue. 
The peak of my career was in 2014, where I reached two Grand Slam semi-finals and one Grand Slam final. I mean, I'm, I've said male players so far. Maybe it's a female player. Yeah, you always um, do this, Joel. You always. I know. I just assume. Um, I know that's bad of me. Um, 2017. Oh, 2014. God. Oh, 2014. So it would have been really young. I know this isn't right, but I'm just going to say anyway. Eugenie Bouchard. Why do you think that's not right? Did she get to more than one Grand Slam final in a year? It is right. No, you weren't. You weren't listening to me. I said two semi-finals and one final. Oh <laughs> yes. Yeah, she got to the Australian Open semi-final that year and wow. the French Open semi, and then the the final of Wimbledon lost to Kvitova. And she made the fourth round of the US Open. We do not talk about that enough, I don't think. And she, well, she was therefore in the the tour finals at the end of the year. Career high ranking of five in October of 2014. Um, Yeah, I mean, I had to kind of go a bit vague because my other clues were the fact that um, she filed a lawsuit against the USTA for slipping and getting concussion in the locker room. Uh, and that she has a twin sister, etc. Does she? Um, I didn't know that. Yeah, her twin sister is Beatrice. They're named after Eugenie and Beatrice. You know. Um, oh, god! I did not Prince know that. Andrews, either. Prince Andrew's daughters. We shouldn't really mention his name, but yeah. So that's pretty that's... awkward now. I feel. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously Eugenie and Beatrice have, have not done anything wrong. I don't think, but um. Yes, there we go. Well done, listeners, if you got that. Maybe you got it before Joel. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know why she popped into my head, but I just thought, you know, she hasn't uh, appeared, I think, previously on Mysterious Player. And she's currently down at 330 in the world. So who knows if she'll ever get back up to where she was in 2014. And listeners, we've also got a classic passing shot mailbag, this time from Diana, who got in touch with us on Twitter uh, she messaged us saying, Hi, Joel and Kim. I couldn't help notice that during the Australian Open, comedian Rebel Wilson's voice was heard as part of the automated line calling system. If you got to choose someone to do the automated line calls at the next Australian Open, who would it be? That is a great question and i didn't even realize that was rebel wilson's voice uh who is an act for any of our listeners that is an actor australian actor and a, a comedian um but yeah i mean kim where were you where were you thinking about this because i could plausibly see that in the future that you know if i was a celebrity and i love tennis i would i would be on the phone to hawkeye to be like look how much how much would it take for me to get my voice uh you know inside Rod Laver Arena. How much will I get paid to <laughs> say the word out? Ooh, do you think she gets? Do you think she gets paid by the out call? I don't know. Yeah, she'd want someone some error strain match, wouldn't she? Then imagine if they got paid per, but the number of times it was like the button was pressed. Um, yeah, I didn't realize it was her at first, and I know they they had a few different voices, but um, it was quite funny when you know just kind of like the male voice was just like ow mm. <laughs> it was just very australian <laughs> um well if you're thinking australian open for next year i was thinking all oh, famous australians and i obviously thought of carl kennedy from neighbors because i think 
that would go down very well with a British audience. Um, although Neighbours apparently is no longer going to be on Channel 5. I know. Well, that's yeah. a whole other story, isn't it? Maybe you're, you're, are you trying to keep people in work from Neighbours? <laughs> was this, was this where this came from? Maybe. Yeah, maybe they're <laughs> going to be dropped by um, all their I, production companies. I, Kim, and they need I could work. be wrong. I could be wrong. I've never heard of Carl Kennedy, so I actually don't think that's high profile enough for... Australian Carl, open line calling system. Do you not system. know Susan, Susan and Carl from Neighbours? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. Okay, well, how about, you obviously, um, I think you referred to them the other day, Kylie Minogue and Jason Donovan. I think that, that is that the limit of your famous yeah. Australians? Okay. I mean, we'll take them. They could do it in a sort of duet fashion as, oh, as they're okay. known to. Yeah. They could, uh, I don't know. Well, who would you have? I I didn't think about Australians. I went someone who's got, I think, a really, just a really distinctive voice that you just know who it is when you hear them speak. And for me, that is Morgan Freeman. Okay. (laughs) Um, So I just think his voice uh, would, everyone would just listen to it. Everyone would shut up. uh, And I think the crowd would just love hearing. I think there would be a little novelty factor to it. I think it would just be quite... um, just quite fun i think um well maybe yeah, they should get someone them, like a morgan freeman maybe they should get celebrities to record messages for the crowd so the umpire you know when the umpire was trying to like shush the crowd they could just press a button and morgan freeman would be like <laughs> yes exactly shut up. exactly i do i do see i do i could see this becoming like as part of exhibitions you know if there is automated line calling in place which feels like it's becoming more of a norm on the on the tour now um at the expense of of actual people um yeah whether they could get various celebrities um to do the different lines so who knows maybe in the future there'll be exhibition events or dare i say even tour events or slam events where there might even be multiple people um calling the line that are of a of a celebrity nature i mean uh, just on a quick note, uh, I don't know if any of our listeners in the UK watch University Challenge, but there's um, a guy on it this season who has a very nice voice. He's, he's sort of very eloquent and um, he also went to my old uni, but he's the captain for King's College. And um, he has this a most amazing voice. And I, I would love him to do Wimbledon automated line calls if they're going <laughs> to get rid of the line judges Ooh. there, because I just think that would be... Uh, just, they're not going to yeah, do that lovely. though i just lovely i are are wimbledon going to go down the automated line call route i just cannot i just feel mm. like for them having umpires and lines people it's yeah. just like tradition, tradition and that's a tradition they're not gonna i don't think i think there'd be big uproar if they got rid of that tradition but i can see why you know the australian open different crowd different audience that yeah it's it's in place yeah, I think it's easier on a hard court maybe as well. I know obviously they can't do it on the clay, so um, I bet French line judges are extremely happy about that. Uh, <laughs> still got jobs, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, thank you, Diana. That was a, a great question. <laughs> I loved thinking about, um, you know, the answer to that one. Um, let's move on to some of the news from this week, Joel, because we've had a, co- a couple of things coming out uh from the, the world of tennis, first of which is Juan Martín Del Potro suggesting that he's going to retire uh, officially uh, after he plays in the Argentina Open. Um, so he's kind of come out recently saying 
in a press conference that this may very well be his very last tournament and that it's going to be a bit of a farewell event, uh, which is obviously very sad news to hear, but probably not surprising given that he's been, you know, pretty much plagued his whole career by quite serious injuries. Yeah, it's obviously very sad. It doesn't have the tone of Andy Murray Australian Open, which, you know, was it felt very much like a, a false retirement. It didn't it didn't feel to me like it had that tone when he did that kind of press conference. And, you know, what what first of all hit me was how amazing, you know, this guy is in terms of he's gone through all of these injuries. We've seen all these videos as well on, on social media over the years of him, you know, going through rehab. And then, you know, having a setback, but then doing more rehab, just it felt like on an endless cycle. And for me, you know, for him doing that over what feels like, you know, a number of years now, just to get just to get back and in place to do potentially one final tournament. It just shows you, I think, how big his heart is, I think, for for tennis and his fans. And, you know, this feeling that, you know, he wanted to go out, I think, on his own terms. And, you know, I do wonder if there are kind of, parallels of this situation and potentially how Roger Federer comes back in terms of you know coming back not just to not coming back more to kind of do like a as I said like a a farewell and and a goodbye maybe not over just one tournament but over a series of tournaments versus you know actually I'm going to do another crack at this like Andy Murray and try and get back up the rankings as as high as possible but it's still very very sad news Um, you know this is a guy who you know, he's a, you, you know, 2009 US Open Grand Slam champion. And, and Kim, when I was, I was researching this fact that I completely forgot about, which is just remarkable, is that there's only been one occasion where Federer, Djokovic and Nadal have all made the semi-final of a Grand Slam and none of them have won the tournament. And that was when one Martin Del Potro won it as a 20 year old um, in Flushing Meadows in 2009. So he's got some incredible achievements under his belt. Everyone loves his, you know, his his fear hand, his for his absolute hammer of a forehand that blew away opponents. And you know, for him to go out, hopefully, you know, with one last tournament under his belt in his home country, um, I hope he's afforded that that opportunity. Definitely, I think um, you know some tennis fans who have come to the sport more recently. You know, probably wouldn't even remember that two thousand and nine USA been before their time. And maybe they don't appreciate, yeah, how amazing he can be and how he can play. And I think Tony Nadal has actually, you know, put the nail on the head. He's the unluckiest man in tennis. You know, if he hadn't had so many injuries, he could very well have been up there. It could have been a big, well, a big five if you include Andy Murray, but it could have been a, a big four, perhaps, you know, could have been world number one. I mean, I know you shouldn't, I guess, dwell on, you know, ifs and buts and what ifs but it's such a shame um and I think his latest kind of injury has been the knee he said it's become a nightmare he's tried so many things to try and fix it no solution so you know if you're going to choose a way to bow out from the sport you know to do it at home with his home fans in Buenos Aires you know that that is would be the most logical way to do it. So I hope he has a good week. He has uh, got an opening round against fellow Argentinian Federico Del Bonis, who, you know, is a stalwart player on the tour. So that's going to be very, very tough, I think, for someone who hasn't played competitively for a long time. But, you know, however far Delpo might go in, in this event, you know, I hope he has a I hope he has a, I mean, it will be emotional for him if, if this is going to be his last um, tournament, but I hope it goes as well as it can for him. 
And I mean, if we if we do look at this and and kind of reflect on you know his career and what his 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 legacy to tennis, what what would you what would you say it is in terms of you know the fact that he is a player I think who has undoubted talent. Uh, you know, he's sh- he's shown us that. Um, he's a great character as well. I think you know he's a very um, you know he's a very I think kind of laid back persona but also i think very friendly as well off the court i think we see that through particularly kind of i've seen through his kind of social media but again yeah just a player who has had been plagued by so many injuries would you say that's is that sadly gonna be the thing that we're gonna remember him most from most for do you think it's the injuries more so than the the actual tennis he played and and the fact that he is a grand sam champion is that how bad you know his injuries have been over the years would you say I mean, at least he won a title because mm. imagine if he'd got to that final, lost it, and then, you know, has, has struggled so much with the injury. At least, at least he won that title. You know, that's more than most tennis players could have, have said. You know, he's won a Grand Slam title. You could have a completely healthy 10 years or so on the tour with no injuries, but never win a Grand Slam. And, you know, whose career would you rather have? Would you rather have all these injury struggles, but have won a Grand Slam? Or I guess it depends whether you're a half full, half empty sort of person, what you're personal kind of goals are I mean I think it's just a reminder to appreciate being you know free of injury for for other players you know who who are sort of healthy and able to compete you know week in week out I think you know it's kind of a reminder that you know you can't just take it for granted that you're going to have a a body that's going to hold up to professional sport so I think it's you know that that's the kind of message but yeah there's certainly matches you know that will remain in the memory like when he did win uh, the US Open. I remember a few years back at Wimbledon, he he um, there was that semi final with Novak, and then I think also in 2018 a really good quarter final with Rafa, where he was playing you know extremely good tennis again. So it must be so frustrating to be someone like Dalpo, where you know you've got so much talent and ability, but your body is is ultimately just not up for it um, for for whatever reason, and and that contrast must be very very frustrating um you know when you're kind of going through this rehab you know sitting down you can't get out on a tennis court you can't do you know something you probably feel like you've been put on this earth to do um and that I think will be I think that will be really gutting for someone like you know Del Potro given you know he was only 20 years old when he did cause that upset at the US Open, um, which is just, it's just remarkable given it, it gets even better, I think, by the, you know, by the year, given that the caliber of, of opponents he also had in that, in the semi finals. So yeah, it'll be kind of disappointing. I mean, just, just finally, Kim, do you, where do you see him going from here? If, if, if it is, if it is the end, do you think he'll go into coaching or do you think he'll stay put, uh, build a family or, where do you where do you see his his next development going after his tennis career? Well, I think he could do both um, at the same time. I, yeah, I don't know what his personal situation is like. Um, I think it'd be quite interesting if he if he did become a coach on the tour. There's certainly, I'm sure, a whole host of players uh, who would love to have his insight into the tour. And we do find that some of the best coaches are players that never you know sometimes we're never you know the, the leading lights of, of the tour themselves but can be absolutely fantastic coaches so that maybe there is a, a, a greater higher cause and that will you know come to fruition uh long term if he goes down a slightly different route um I mean talking of players who have struggled a lot with severe injuries you know Andy Murray 
um, will be able to sympathise a lot with Del Potro because obviously Andy's had his own injury battles. And um, I guess as a as a result of that, you know, recent news coming out of Team Team Murray is that he is going to bypass the clay season this year so he can focus as much as possible on the grass. Um, you know, he said that it's not that he wouldn't potentially play again on clay in the future, but that he just obviously wants to be as best as he can for the grass and for Wimbledon. So it's, it will give him time to to rest and, and get prepared uh, for that, which, you know, makes sense. Uh, this is a very sort of understandable decision. Are, are you a bit up, annoyed or upset that he, you won't see him for a good good while on the clay? Or do you, you, you know, you're sort of thinking it's all about the grass, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it makes sense. You know, the grass is, you know, a surface that comes very naturally to him. Uh, it's less intense on the body. Um, and, you know, given that he will want to make the most of, I think, the grass court season over the clay court season, I think it's right for him to kind of prioritise it. He could perhaps extend it out as well, play some more warm up events. Um, you know, I've been hearing things about potentially playing Stuttgart or, you know, maybe Surbiton closer to home. He's obviously also got a, a family as well. So perhaps he can use the clay season to just kind of do a bit of rest and, and relaxation at home and, and spend it with the, the kids um, and Kim as well. So um, I think it, yeah, I think it makes sense. It's obviously as, a, as an Andy fan is still a bit gutting, um, you know, not to see him um, on a clay court. But I think, you know, as you, you get older and, you know, with the body that, that Murray has, there just needs to be that step back and, you know, realise, I think, that the limitations of, of what you can do. And I think, you know, he's learnt that the hard way over the last few years when he has played on the clay courts. Um, and he's realised, actually, he, I mean, he said it himself, it's made kind of issues with his body worse. So I think he's kind of learnt from those moments and it's decided, actually, a bit like Roger Federer, I think, a few years ago, um, he's decided it's just not it's not worth the it's not worth the mileage and you know to put another you know home slam you know Wimbledon at risk it's just not it in his eyes it's probably just not worth it yeah I agree I think it it makes sense um, and I feel like maybe Federer should have done this last year because do you remember that whole hoo-ha about him pulling out of the French Open and you know to save himself for the grass and perhaps you know imagine if you kind of had a similar situation with Andy or Federer does that again or whatever you know I think you've got to maybe make that decision then and there um as well haven't you so um I think perfectly understandable um and and actually talking of of Roger Federer we've also had news Joel that him and Rafa are going to try and pair up in the doubles for the Labour Cup this year which is in London in September and um they've yeah they've both announced that they're going to um take part and hopefully play doubles together as long as obviously Bjorn Borg agrees which I mean who's not going to agree with that no. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah I don't, I don't know maybe, maybe we'll be there because tickets I think come on sale next month it's in London at the O2 uh be great to see uh because obviously you know Fedal playing doubles it's you know not very often you get to see that no I think they've only played once before uh together in the Labour Cup. I was actually trying to find who their doubles opponents were, but I did. I ran out of time, so I did actually find out that. But yeah, they've only played once together, so it is, I think, a, a really special occasion when they do kind of combine forces. And I think this would be, you know, really great, obviously for the fans and the players. Um, 
yeah, it's just like a, another moment that I think kind of is part of their rivalry. And I think, you know, for them, you know, this has been a rivalry that's been mostly, you know, majority of the time has been forged of them as competitors. And I think it's quite nice to see potent- a potential bookend be them playing together um, in a doubles environment because it doesn't feel realistically like we're going to get another Nadal versus Federer match on the tour uh, right now given you know where Federer is at not really kind of sure you know what his his plans are I think he said you know the next few months are going to be really really um, pivotal in terms of when he does come back Um, you know I think he's hoping to be you know free for at least um, or already at least for some part of the season we just don't know when but certainly I think given his his ranking and and where it is um, yes he will I imagine wild cards end on end if he, he chooses that route. But um yeah, it doesn't it doesn't feel it feels like a Federer Nadal singles match is so far off the off the cards at the moment that you know if there is a, a Roger Federer Rafa Nadal doubles partnership at the end of the season, I think it could be the perfect um yeah, the perfect bookend, I think, to their their rivalry potentially, because I just don't think him we're gonna get another Federer Nadal singles match. Maybe at a smaller tournament, uh, certainly not a grandstand final. I, I wouldn't no. expect, um, unless someone's ranking dropped considerably, and then they played in an early round of, of a slam. Perhaps. I mean, they did play in 2019. Do you remember it? Both semi-finals, French Open, Wimbledon. Yeah. yeah. Um, both winning their kind of respective uh, ones. So, you know, that was only a couple of years ago. But I, I do think it's looking unlikely. So this would be a really nice. Nice way to perhaps end on. Um, let's let's have a look now, Joel, at the tournaments that we've got this week because uh, the WTA main tour is, is back in action, and we've got a couple of uh, ATP events again as well. So on the on the women's side, we've got St Petersburg indoor event, which is a five hundred. Uh, Maria Sakkari is the top seed, and Annette Contevate is the second seed. Um, I noticed Elena Elena Rybakina is is in the draw she seems to be back fit again hopefully and obviously a lot of other top names you know Benchich, Kvitova, um, Mertens, Pavlyuchenkova all there as well so uh, quite a quite a tough draw as always uh, I'm wondering what Elise Cornet will do actually she's in the draw and after her quarterfinal in Australia I, I wonder if she'll keep up playing with sort of free abandon well, Kim, I can tell you because she played Elise Mertens. Has she played already. Ago. They've oh, already dear. played Kim, yes. And, what, was, uh, what, what was the result? I'm on tenterhooks here. <laughs> I haven't done my homework, obviously. <laughs> Elise Cornet lost in three sets. Oh. Uh, Mertens oh, okay. came through three six six two six four. So yeah, not completely right. Gail Monfils mm. levels of fatigue, uh, you would no. imagine. But um, yeah, tough. she. Elise tough, I mean, that is a tough, tough first round yeah. match. Yeah. I mean, tough for, for both opponents. Um, mm. And Contevit as well came through uh, Jill Teichman um, in three sets. And I think Benchich is about to just beat uh, Kudametova as well. So, um, yeah, we've had a few results today. Camilla Georgie went out. But, um, yeah, it'd be an interesting event to see. Uh, yeah, you'd, you'd like to think Rybakina, if she's fit again, I, you know, I think she could be quite a one to watch, I think, potentially for the title. Um Kvitova as well. I think she's got quite a nice draw. She couldn't landed, I think, in quite a nice section of the draw. She got qualifier, and then she could either play Zhang or Begu um, of Romania in the next round. So I think she's got a nice 
nice start to the draw as well. So um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I thought Contivate might have a bit of trouble with Teichman, but um, I mean, it's so hard to predict women's events. I think they're just loaded draws. If, if Ash Barty's not in the draw, it's basically anyone's game, yeah. isn't it, at the moment? <laughs> so <laughs> um, let's look at the men's draws. We've got Rotterdam, which is a um, fairly big event, really, actually. It's a 500 event, but, you know, quite a notable one on, on the calendar, I, I always feel. Uh, indoors in the Netherlands, Sitsipas uh, is the top seed there. And Rublev is the second seed. But we've also got, you know, FAA. Karatsev, uh, Cam Norrie's there, Hubert Herkaj. Uh, so obviously lots of, um, I mean, again, I think this this is very loaded on the men's side and, and could go various ways. Obviously, Andy Murray is playing Bublik in that first round as well. Um, Medvedev, not there due to fatigue. Um, so, I mean, I'm not surprised after that final last week. I think uh, he's made a sensible decision. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, as a British fan, yes, my eyes look at Andy Murray and how he get on against Bublik, but also on Cam Norrie, who has had a not a great start to the season, very slow out of the traps. And he's got Indian Wells coming up where he's the defending champion. So I think he's going to want to try and find some form, obviously, um, you know, in the build up to that. So I'm looking at his opening match against Ugo Umber, which feels quite a nice kind of opener on, on paper as the sixth seed. So see how that goes. Denis Shapovalov also in that top half. He's got qualifier first up. Could face Bosic van der Zanschulp in the second round. Yeah, I think I'm, um, it's quite it's quite nice. Quite nice draws. Quite a few players. I wouldn't be surprised, Kim, if we had a all-Canadian final again. I mean, Shapovalov, Felix Ogier-Lissim in separate halves. I could quite feasibly see both of them reaching the final. Could this be FAA's moment? Could this be it? Could this oh. be? Could this be? Could he stop the most, the longest on-running joke on the Passing Shot Tennis podcast with a I mean, win? We've mentioned it about three times already today, <laughs> so I, I really hope he does. I mean, he got he had match point against Medvedev at the AO, mm. and yeah. you know, look what happened after that. So, oh, Felix, right? I mean, he anyway. could face Andy Murray in the second round or Bublik, so that's still mm. quite. Still quite tough if he comes through his first round, uh, a first round qualifier. So yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, Songa fans, um, he's currently a set down to Hubert Herkaj. Uh, they're playing at the moment. Obviously, Songa's got a wild card. Tough, for, tough first round, but nice to see him on the court again. Um, we've got the Dallas Open in Texas as well. Indoor hardcore event, two fifty. Um, obviously loaded with Americans. In fact, they're the top four seeds. Uh, Taylor Fritz. Riley Apelka, John Isner and Jensen Brooksby. Um, also got Maxime Cressy uh, there, Brandon Nakashima, Nakashima yep. uh, Dennis Kudla. I mean, they're just almost everyone is American, I think, uh, except for Feliciano Lopez, basically. Uh, Daniel so... Altmaier is in there as well, Kim, against <laughs> and- Andrea Seppi, who's still going on the uh, single circuit, I see. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this will be, I think this will be interesting. It, I mean, it could be a question of which American is going to win this because... You'd say Maxine Cressy has made the most of, you know, the start of the season so far. But, you know, Jensen Brooksby also is coming back. He didn't make the trip to, to Australia. I'll be, yeah, fascinated to see how he gets on because he played some great tennis last season. But Taylor Fritz had a great Australian Open. There's a real, there's like a lot of in-form Americans playing this tournament. Um, so, again, it'll be, um, you know, it, it could go it could go anywhere. But I'm sort of expecting... I could even say in an all-American final, Kim, maybe a maybe Brooksby versus or oh, Brooksby versus Cressy. I think could be on the cards. Maybe 
we could we could get Cressy is the quarterfinal, which I know you'll love as well. Oh, come on, Cressy. <laughs> I have to say, um, yeah, seven of the top eight seeds are American and the mm. only one who isn't, Joel, do you want to guess? Um, He's been mentioned already a few times. Is it Manorino? Yes. <laughs> Adrian Manorino. Um, yeah, this is the event that used to be New York. So we, we had that sort of New York event, uh, which I think Carl Edmund won one year. Riley Apelka won it another year, I think. But that's now Dallas. And Jack Sock's in on a wild card, Kim. So all the all the wild cards are just getting eaten up by players of of yesteryear at the moment, aren't they? Yeah. Well, uh, isn't that what a wild card is for? No, no very I mean, true. Yeah. Either uh, either the old gits or the young <laughs> the young generation. Well, hang on. <laughs> I'm just looking at this, Kim. Feliciano Lopez in on a on in the main, main draw, draw on an yeah. automatic yeah. entry. What is what is going on there? Well, quality, he would have needed girls, a wild card quality. as well. Yeah. <laughs> um and talking of elderly statesmen of Spain, Fernando Vadasco is playing in Cordoba, um in Buenos Aires even on a protected ranking. So um that's our final tournament for the week. Uh obviously the Argentina Open where we've got Del Potro playing with a obviously well justified wild card. Um this is actually top seat top top seeded, headlined by <laughs> you gonna say top secret. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Casper Ruud is the top secret top seed. Um, Norwegian Casper Ruud, uh, top seed in Buenos Aires, and Diego Schwartzman as the second seed. Um, also got the likes of Fornini, um, I don't know, Pablo Cuevas. Gosh, he's on a protected ranking as well. So I, I thought he might have retired by now. Um, yeah, lots of Argentinians and South Americans generally. Tabilo is is there, um, see, seeing what you know perhaps he can do. Uh, in Sebastian Baez, if he can go deep, yeah, Sebastian Baez. Um, watch out for him. I think he, obviously, you know, he he was playing at the um, next gen finals, and I don't think either of us have particularly heard too much of him. But he's now one of those players I keep seeing on a draw sheet. So I feel like he's going to make inroads uh, this season a lot. I think. Are you going to give me any predictions? One, Martin Del Potro, Del Bonis in the first round is is could he win that or? How no. far do you think he's going to go in this tournament? Is it is it literally just going to be coming on for one match, emotional goodbye to the crowd and off? Sadly, yes. I don't see him beating Del Bonis. I mean, unless he has done a lot of stuff off court, but from the sounds of it, his knee is, is that bad that he... Mm. I mean, know, he still says he's, he's going to play in through the pain, which, mm. you know, after three years or whatever, it's, I mean, that's, that's just, it's sad, isn't it? Like, it's it's not ever going to be a hundred percent. It sounds like it's like, and you just wonder. Andy Murray's purposely not going onto the clay courts because of because it puts his body at risk, and you just you just wonder, you know, with with Del Potro in a similar position in a sense to Murray in terms of his issues with his body. Yes, are probably kind of different parts. It's not his hip; it's his knee. But you still feel like it's going to potentially take its toll on uh, potentially take its toll on him. Yeah, I think it's it's such a gruelling surface. We know that. Um, and I, I I can't see Del Bonis uh, unless he has a really bad day or you know wants to give Del Potro his moment in the sun. I I think Del Bonis is 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 going to get that one. Um, I mean, I'd love to see Del Potro have a have a few wins or or what have you. Just as I'd love to see Andy Murray, um, obviously have another deep run. Obviously, Andy got to the final in in Sydney, so um. You know, it, it would be lovely to have a fairy tale ending for Delpo, 
whether that's going to happen or not is another thing but we'll be discussing whatever does happen uh next week won't we joel i think i think that brings today's episode pretty much to a close um but yeah golden swing well underway very exciting stuff Yes, listeners, I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Passing Shot. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action on the ATP and WTA tours on whatever device you listen to us on. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. Uh, you can reach us on all those social channels or email us instead if you prefer PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back next week at Passing Shot HQ to discuss what's next on the ATP and WTA tours. How will Andy Murray get on in Rotterdam? What will become of one Martin Del Potro in the Argentina Open? We will soon find out, but I hope you can join us next time for our next episode. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Ciao. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.